please be seated. So this morning I want to talk to you out of Paul's first letter to Timothy, the sixth chapter. Paul writes, Of course there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, Timothy, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. As we look at the readings from Lamentations and the psalm that we said responsively this morning, I'm reminded that just like Israel who wandered away from their faith, who failed to pursue their faith, who failed to fight the good fight, we are living in a time where we need to pay closer attention to what our faith tells us about how we are to conduct the course of our lives. And Paul's letter to Timothy says that it takes certain things to fight the good fight of the faith. And he gives us six things that we should take note of. And if you're taking notes, and I encourage you, if you, if you have some space on your bulletin to jot down just these six things, and then you can go back and look at them. But the six things that Paul tells Timothy that we need to pursue as we mount our campaign of faith while we're in the world are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So the first thing that Paul tells us that we need to pursue is righteousness. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness is this attribute that comes from a covenantal relationship. Let me give you an example. Every relationship that we enter into comes with a set of expectations. So my relationship with my wife Angela was entered into with certain expectations on her part and on my part. Because we are in a covenantal relationship called marriage, and in that covenant, we expect certain things from one another. Things like unconditional love, fidelity, mutual support, encouragement, just to name a few. 
And the thing about that covenantal relationship that Angela and I have together is that it's also a covenantal relationship with God. And so there are expectations in that relationship that Angela and I have together with God. Some things that are unique to God. Now, some of those things, those expectations apply. Unconditional love, fidelity, encouragement. Those things apply. But there are some things that are totally unique to God, such as putting God both first and also in the center of our marriage. And when we fulfill the expectations of this covenantal relationship, me to Angela, Angela to me, and us together with God, we call that righteousness. Righteousness is fulfillment of the expectations in any covenantal relationship, whether with God or with other people. It's applicable to all levels of society. It's relevant to every area of our life. Righteousness denotes the fulfilled expectations in relationships between man and wife, between parents and children, between fellow citizens, between employer and employee, between the merchant and the customer, between the ruler and the citizens, and most especially between God and mankind. And so Paul tells us that we are to pursue righteousness in our good fight of the faith. The second thing he says we need to pursue is godliness. Now, godliness is this reverent awareness of God's sovereignty over every aspect of life. And it's the determination to honor God in everything that we do in life. So you don't have to wear a robe or a collar to lead a godly life. Godliness is simply the acknowledgement that God is God and we are not. And when we're willing to acknowledge God as sovereign, when we're willing to proclaim Him as Lord over all aspects of our life, when we choose to honor Him in the way that we live, the way that we move, the way that we have our being, then we can say that we are godly people. Now, godliness and holiness are aspects of the same character. Godly people are holy people. Holy meaning that you're people that are set apart from the world. Why is living a godly life important? Well, in 2 Peter 3, Peter tells us, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. And since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of person ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with His promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. See, Peter's telling us it's important to lead 
lives of godliness because Jesus is coming back. And you have to be ready for that event. You want to be prepared for that event. Here's the definition of godliness. It comes to us from John 9.31. The godly person is committed to obeying God in the world. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does His will. So how do we become godly? We become godly through knowledge of the truth. Godliness depends on knowing God's revealed truth. Paul speaks of the knowledge of the truth that leads to God, godliness and of godly sorrow that leads to salvation. Godliness is engaging in learning bringing into your mind the knowledge of the truth. How do I do that, Pastor? Well, I study. I come to church. But more than that, I study on my own through Bible study. I immerse myself in the Word so that I know that I know who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who I am when I'm in relationship with them as opposed to who I am when I'm not. Those are two completely different scenarios. Being in relationship with God, being out of relationship with God. How does God impart the knowledge of Himself to us? Well, God imparts knowledge of Himself by revealing the Son. Jesus shows us the truth about who God is because we see God manifested, incarnate, in the person Jesus. Jesus said, how can you say to me, show me the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We have excellent example of who God is by reading about who Jesus is. And we take that knowledge and we apply it in our lives as part of our good fight of the faith. So, we have righteousness and we have godliness. The next thing Paul says is we need to pursue faith. It is faith. It is by faith that believers are justified. That's Romans 5.1. It's by faith that believers are reconciled. That's 2 Corinthians 5.18. It's by faith that believers are redeemed. Ephesians 1.7. It's by faith that believers are made alive. Ephesians 2.5. It's by faith that believers are adopted into the family of God. That's Romans 8.15 and 16. It's by faith that believers are recreated. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's by faith that believers are transported into the kingdom of God. That's Colossians 1.13. And it's by faith that believers are set free. Galatians 5.1. See, there's ample evidence that faith accomplishes much. Believing. Believing in what, Pastor? Believing in the message of the Gospel. That Jesus 
is God incarnate. That He suffered. That He died on the cross. That He was buried. That He rose from the grave, conquering death and conquering sin. And that He ascended back to be with God the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to us as a comforter, as a guide. To pursue faith is to pursue salvation. To pursue faith is to pursue sanctification. That is becoming more like Christ. To pursue faith is to pursue glorification. What happens to us when we lead a life, a sanctified life, as we become more and more like Christ until finally one day we stand before Jesus fully sanctified and we become glorified. Perfect, the way God created us from the beginning of time. Now the thing about faith is you can't have it without something called love. And so we are to pursue love. If I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. That's 1 Corinthians 13.2. Love is both the beginning of and the ultimate expression of faith. There can't be any separation between faith and love. The expression of faith and love is good works. Let me say that again. How Christians like us express our faith. How we express the love that makes the faith possible. How we express those two things together is through our good works. Good works don't save us. They can't earn us our way into heaven. But because of the love that Jesus poured out on us, our response is to love Him in return, and we show that love by doing good works for others. So this love of which Paul speaks is the essential fruit of the Spirit through whom the life of faith is lived. Only by virtue of the indwelling Holy Spirit for believers does faith find expression in love which manifests itself in good works. And so for the Apostle John, love was the foundation of all that had occurred. God so loved the world, right? John 3.16. This is how we know love at all. Christ laid down His life for us, 1 John 3.16. God Himself is love, 1 John 4.8 and 4.16. God is love. We're to pursue love. Therefore, we're to pursue God. How do we know this to be true? Well, we know this by Jesus coming to be a human and by His willingness to die on the cross. This is how we know and believe that, that love that God has for us. The love itself is of God. It is divine. It follows then that he who loves is born of God. He who does not love does not know God. 
He who does not love is in darkness. He who loves is in the light. He who does not love is not of God. He who loves is of God. He who does not love remains in death. He who loves God has life abundant. See, there's a big difference between those who love and those don't. There's eternal consequences for those who don't love and those who do. If we love, God abides in us and we abide in God. And so, God's love is prior to our love. We love because God loved first of, loved us. And God's love is original. In other words, love originates with God. The last thing, second to the last thing, Paul tells us to pursue endurance. When we read the New Testament, we see Christians committed to their face, their to their faith in the face of difficulty. You don't have to read the New Testament. You can just turn on the news. Anytime they're showing something about the persecution of people in the Middle East, it's persecution, make no mistake about it, of Christians in the Middle East who are enduring great difficulty for the sake of their faith in the name of Jesus Christ. The whole of Christianity was born into this context of hostility and persecution. And think about it, the death of the Lord and His disciples. The endurance of Christians in the face of persecution and temptation is the backdrop of most of the New Testament. Do you agree? Fighting the good fight of the faith requires endurance. It's not easy being a Christ follower in the world these days, is it? Why is that? Because there is such opposition. Because it's inconvenient to be a follower of Christ if your heart is set in the ways of the world. And yet this is our calling to run our race with endurance as we pursue the faith. How do we do that? How do we endure in a hostile world as Christians? Well, Paul tells us that we do it by pursuing gentleness. That's kind of a counterintuitive statement, isn't it? You don't normally think of fighting the good fight gently. Last time I turned on an MMA fight, I didn't see much gentleness going on in that ring. It was downright hostile. And that's the, the idea that we typically have about fighting the good fight because meekness and gentleness is often perceived by the world as weakness. Here's a definition of, of gentleness. Sensitivity of disposition and kindness of behavior founded on strength and prompted by love. I think that's a pretty good definition. That comes to us from the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. 
sensitivity of disposition, and kindness of behavior, founded on strength and prompted by love. See, as God's representative, the incarnate King Jesus came in humility and gentleness. That's Zechariah 9.9. And that King, now come in the flesh, is gentle and humble in heart, Matthew eleven twenty nine. In accord with the prophecy, he enters Jerusalem in gentleness and lowliness, Matthew 21, 5. Paul appeals to believers saying, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 1. And it's this gentle spirit that Christ cultivates. The same quality in His people. Through that Holy Spirit power, we have the ability not just to pursue these six elements of the good fight of the faith, but also to actually attain them in the real world right now as we travel along this road of sanctification. This is practical theology something that we can apply in our lives right now. What do I need to pursue as I walk along as a traveler in the world today? A sojourner on this earth. Because this is not our home. We're just kind of passing through. And so these six elements that we can pursue and put in practice as we walk by faith. Righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, (coughs) gentleness. Why is this important to us? It's important because it is this faith that elevates us up out of the muck and the mire of this so-so dead-end life. It lifts us up into abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Faith. Hope in what's to come. Faith in the kingdom of God being here on earth now through the hearts and minds of believers like you and me. Pursue the faith. Pursue God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our next hymn is Thread of the World. Page 627, there's two verses.